Should be good. All right. Secure that on the belt. All righty. Let's uh, let's um, let's pray, and uh, let's not do this by habit. It's not like we're starting our meal and saying and giving thanks, but let's do this in faith together. Uh, that the Spirit of God, who's here tonight, will 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 teach us something, and He'll change us, and that that'll be our prayer. But you know, pull pull on the Lord, Lord, with me as we come together in in one accord to learn from Him. Father, in the name of Jesus, we are so so grateful that you gave us your son, that you washed us in his blood, that you cleansed us and gave us his righteousness, that you made a way for us to come boldly to your throne of grace, and that you sent the Holy Spirit into us to teach us, to lead us and to guide us into all truth. And that you said that when you return that we would be like you. A remarkable statement when we think of ourselves. But Father, this time that we get together to study your word and and to break bread, to fellowship, these are the times when you can come and change us, stir us up from the inside out, renew our minds to the truths of the spirit realm from which you, you, you are and where we are going. Lord, everyone has a has a journey today. Everyone had work. Everyone had stress. Everyone had things. Everyone had... Help us to shake off all of the dust that did not bring peace. And welcome your peace and welcome your spirit and welcome your teaching so that we can learn thereby. And, and most importantly, that, that we can respond to what you called us to do. That we can begin to act and be who you made us to be. We don't want head knowledge. We want heart change. And we thank you, Lord, that you will touch the teaching and the hearing for all of us tonight as we go through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Lord. He is the, uh, the ultimate teacher, and, and we are blessed to have him within us and blessed to have his word among us. And um, without him, I, I, I don't bring anything to the table. So, so we really need him to, to do the work, and he will, and he will. So this is part three. I didn't know this would be a three-part series. It's actually going to be a four-part series. Uh, we'll do one more uh, next month to, to round out. The topic is, is the glory in the tabernacle. We've been talking about that. Uh, we started back in November, and... Uh, you know, my, my first thought was to really focus in on the tabernacle in the wilderness, but the Lord wanted me to lay a background, sort of a foundation of, of, of that, uh, because you were dealing with people who, you know, for 400 years, maybe have never even encountered the Lord, you know, the, while the uh, Israelites were in Egypt. So, so we took them through a series over three months after the uh, great exodus uh, through the Red Sea and introduced himself as, in various ways to, to his people Israel. He, he he showed them that he was their savior or deliverer. He showed them that he was the bread uh, of life, that, that, that he was their healer when the water was bitter. He talked to, and showed them how he was their banner over their battles and, and really laid the foundation for how he was their provider. And then ultimately brought them to Mount Sinai where 
where uh, they encountered him, all the people there encountered him physically, in a sense, uh, on the mountain there. Uh, they were brought to the edge of the mountain. There was thunderings and lightnings and smoke and, 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 and some awesome, awesome things were taking place. And, and God spoke to, to the people of Israel and gave them his commandments. So all of everybody could hear the Ten Commandments. And, and now ultimately they were given to Moses again when he was on the mountain so he could bring them down on the tablets. But they heard the Ten at least the way I read the scriptures. And so, and they say, yes, but Moses, we can't handle this. We're too afraid. You talk to God and, and, and we'll obey. We'll do whatever he says. Uh, so he introduced himself as Lord. And we noticed that uh, as we studied the scriptures, that there were some things that God was sharing with Moses during the 40 days and 40 nights that he was in the, in the, in the, in the mountain of God. We're going to start with our key scripture that we started with back in November and we repeat it again uh, in, in December. I'll read it to you today, and, and, and I ask that throughout tonight uh, that the Spirit of God would, would, would alight upon certain words or phrases. There are a number of different threads in this message that are going to mean something, different things to different people. So listen to the Holy Spirit as we go through, because I've got a lot of scriptures, Mike counted them. I won't share the number, I don't want to scare you. Um, but the Spirit of God is going to minister to you in different ways as we go through these scriptures. And, and by the way, welcome to all of you who are online uh, with us. Uh, stay with us, stay focused. Uh, open your Bibles, if you would, uh, to follow along with the message uh, and, and the reading. And we'll put the scriptures up on here as well. But we'll start with our key scripture, which is in Exodus chapter 29. And uh, this is part of what Moses received when he was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. Exodus 29, and we'll start with verse 38 through 46. Now this is what you shall offer on the altar. Two lambs of the first year, day by day, continually. One lamb you shall offer in the morning, and the other lamb you shall offer at twilight. With the one lamb shall be one-tenth of an ephah of flour, mixed with one-fourth of a hin of pressed oil, and one-fourth of a hin of wine as a drink offering. And the other lamb you shall offer at twilight, and you shall offer with it the grain offering and the drink offering as in the morning, for a sweet aroma and offering made by fire to the Lord. Verse 42 says, This shall be a continual burnt offering throughout your generations at the door of the tabernacle of the meeting before the Lord, where I, the Lord, will meet with you and speak with you. And there I will meet with the children of Israel, and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. So I will consecrate the tabernacle of the meeting and the altar, and I will also consecrate both Aaron and his sons to minister to me as priests. Verse 45, and this is really the focus, I will dwell among the children of Israel, and I will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt, that I may dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. So the Lord is revealing himself to him as, as all those different things I outlined and then finally ultimately Lord and the people agree to, to obey him and, and, and follow him. And, and so, so the Lord rested on Mount Sinai and they saw this amazing sight. Let's read this in Exodus 24 uh, in verse 16 to 18. Now the glory, because that's the topic, the glory of the Lord, the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called Moses out of the midst of the cloud and the sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire 
on the top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. So Moses went into the midst of the cloud and went up into the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. So, so we see this, this, this consuming fire. This is how the children of Israel saw the glory of God. It was something that they could understand and see with their senses and, and experience. And it was powerful and something they'd never seen before. But our key takeaway from that message was, and we went through a lot of details, of course, but the key takeaway was this idea of this sacrifice that continually took place at the door of the tabernacle. There was a continual sacrifice required, a continual shedding of the blood and a sacrifice. And I noted that the people were the ones who had to bring that sacrifice to the door of the tabernacle. And then we talked about how ultimately God became our sacrifice for us through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so his blood ultimately took away our sins, but there was still a need for a sacrifice from the people. And that sacrifice is what we bring today, which is that obedience that he requires of us to follow after him. He wants to not only dwell among us, but he wants to be our God, which means that we need to submit to his calling and do his will. So there's a continual sacrifice that's needed, even though Christ has provided the ultimate sacrifice that reconnects us with God. Um, and then in part two in December, then we, then we started to focus in on this tabernacle in the wilderness, and we started to talk about that in detail uh, because God wants to dwell among his people. He still does that today. That's still his desire, and that's his will. And, 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 and God showed Moses a very specific uh, pattern in which he wanted this tabernacle built. And we showed you some of the elements in a, in, a, in a PowerPoint that I had up. But the emphasis wasn't really on all the details of the elements. In fact, Pastor John wrote an excellent book called The Tabernacle of Moses, I think, or The Tabernacle of the Wilderness, uh, and, which you can get in the cafe, which, uh, which, which goes through all the symbolism of the priest and his, and his robe and the colors and all the parts of how he's adorned and also all the elements within the tabernacle. A lot of richness and a lot of truths in there. So I encourage you to read that. But, uh, but I looked at it more from a standpoint of the way the tabernacle was stru- uh, constructed in that it had uh, three parts. It had the outer court, right? And, and, and that sort of symbolized or typified our bodies. It had the holy place, which, which typified our soul, our mind, our will, and emotions. And the holy of holies, which is like our spirit being. That's the most holy place of all. And so we showed how that tabernacle was sort of a type or a shadow of where God would ultimately want to dwell on the earth. And uh, ultimately, we talked about the mercy seat at the very heart of the center of the, of the holy of holy places, how that was the propitiation. And Pastor Ray picked up on that comment. Not, he had already prepared uh, to talk about the propitiation, the mercy seat, who is Christ. And then Pastor Michael talked about it again another Wednesday night, talking about how that satisfied the requirements of the law for the Lord uh, because Christ is the one who took the punishment for us. So, so it's amazing to me how the Holy Spirit, through, you know, through Pastor Mike, myself, Pastor uh, uh, Ray, we, we talked about this important aspect of the mercy seat without having any inkling of what the other was planning. The Holy Spirit is working this, this message to us and he's driving a message home about about his mercy and his love for us and his wanting to dwell uh, within us. It's just exciting to see how, how he's the one steering what gets ministered uh, to, uh, here in the pulpit. It's good stuff. Uh, so, so we talked about that. Uh, and then at the end of, of, of that message, when everything was done according to God's plan, when everything was done according to his will and according to his ways, when everything was done in obedience 
to his commands and the tabernacle was erected. Um, We see in Exodus 40, verses 34 to 38, we see, Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it, and the glory of the Lord filled, there it is again, the tabernacle. Whenever the cloud was taken up from above the tabernacle, the children of Israel would would go onward with their journeys, but if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not journey till the day it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was above the tabernacle by day and fire over it by night, the sight of the house, oh, in the sight of, of the house of Israel throughout, throughout their journey. So, so the Lord, the glory of the Lord filled that place where he wanted to live. And when he was present there, it was evident. And that's really the point. When the Lord was dwelling in the tabernacle, when he was there, his presence was evident uh, to, to the children of Israel, the people who were able to see it. Uh, as they journeyed. And, and, and then we said in Kings, 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 10 and 11, we see a similar scenario when Solomon's temple was built. And again, we don't have time to go through all the background, but it, but it came to pass, this is chapter 8, verses 10 and 11 of 1 Kings. It came to pass when the priests came out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priest could not continue ministering because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. So, so this tabernacle, again, prepared in three parts, you know, as we are made, and, and the glory of the Lord filled that inner sanctum where the spirit man is. The glory of the Lord filled that part, but then because he was there, it was evident to all um, but it took the cleansing of the blood, the sprinkling of the blood on all of the elements in the tabernacle to make it sanctified and set apart so that the glory could then come and abide there and sanctify it for God's use. So there's a sacrifice that goes with the presence in, these, in this tabernacle. And at the latter part of our last message, we, we brought this forward some, some, uh, some I don't know, 800 years, I have to do the math, but some good while, a number of centuries later, uh, when Christ would be born at the fullness of time. Uh, and, and this is where I'm going to dig a little deeper tonight and talk about Christ as the new tabernacle of, of, of the Lord, the new dwelling place of the Lord. So we'll dig into that a little bit deeper, and then we're going to go from there to the fact that Christ is now crucified and at the right hand of the Father, and now his body on the earth the temple of the Lord is us. Are you ready for all that? Are you going to be able to digest all that? All right, now listen, uh, this is Bible study in a sense, and I'm, I'm happy to, to answer a question. If I go too fast or if I say something that you're like, huh, uh, I'm happy to, uh, now we can't have a lot of questions because there's a lot of scriptures, but I'm happy to entertain a question if something comes up, so, so please, uh, please feel free. I mean, I have the answer, but I'll tell you that if I don't. Uh, and then I'll ask Pastor Rick. <laughs> all right, and all of you online, I know we won't have that dialogue together, but, uh, but stay with us and, and write uh, questions down. Shoot them into the office if you, if you uh, want to pursue anything further. Okay, so we're fast-forwarding from the tabernacle in the wilderness, from the temple of, of Solomon. Uh, really, a thousand years later, Solomon's temple was destroyed. The Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, that's all gone. Uh, the people were in exile. They returned. Zerubbabel rebuilds the temple. And, uh, and, and that was around 500 years before Christ. And then, and then around 23 years before Jesus came, Herod uh, 
agrees to rebuild that temple to try to placate the Jews because they had obviously occupied Israel at the time. Um, but, but there was no evidence of the manifest presence of God. Like they had the tabernacle, but there was no, they had the temple. There's no evidence of this, of this presence of God. Now we're going to pick up and read a, and we're going to study a passage of scripture in John, uh, the gospel of John chapter 2, and we're going to go through 13 through 22. I'm going to read it straight through, and I'm going to return back and bring out a couple points. So John chapter 2, starting with verse 13. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and, and he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers, doing business. When he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen and poured out the changers' money and overturned uh, the, the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, quote, Take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. And then his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house has eaten me up. And so the Jews answered and said to him, What sign? This is the beginning of Jesus' ministry here. And he's saying, What sign? Uh, you know, do you show us since you do these things? I mean, what right do you have to come in here and disrupt our, our, our daily routine? And Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. And then the Jews said, it's taken us 46 years to build this temple and, and you'll raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. And therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he, said to his, he had said this to them, and they believed the scripture in the word which Jesus had said. So, so here we see Jesus in the beginning of his ministry going into the temple in the middle of Jerusalem, and, 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 he's, and he's driving out the money changers, the business people, uh, 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 because he's, he's distraught at the, what's become of the temple. And as I studied these scriptures, I, I started to look at it because God wants to dwell among his people, so I started to look at what does this word temple mean. And one of the things that I saw was, was that there, and, and you guys all know this, but the, Old Testament, or the New Testament was written predominantly in the Greek language. And there's a, a, a phenomenal concordance called Strong's Concordance where he takes every single word that was in our English translation and he gives you the Greek original word. And then you can get a little bit of depth as far as what the original writer meant or intended when, when, when it was written in Greek. So John, under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, wrote this. And when he said that he made a whip of cords, this is in verse 15, and he drove them out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. That, that's a Greek word, and, and I'll reference the Strong's just because, I don't know, I like this stuff. But Strong's G, which stands for Greek, 2411 is herion, and I don't know Greek, so I'm guessing at the pronunciation based on what I heard on the little uh, computer, but herion, which, which means a sacred place. Makes sense. We would call that a temple, right? Herion, uh, a sacred place. So, so, so when Jesus came to the temple, he came to a sacred place, and, and, and he... And he drove them out of this sacred place. But, but what's interesting is when he said to them, destroy this temple, referring, referring to his body, and in three days I will raise it up, it's a different Greek word altogether. It's not hurria, it's not now it's nahas, which is a dwelling place. It's a completely different... So if you read that in Greek, you wouldn't hear temple, destroy the temple, build the temple, that's how we read it. What you would hear is a sacred place, a dwelling place. And I think the Holy Spirit was implying to the, to, to the readers of this letter, he's saying, look, this temple is not anymore a dwelling place. I, it, it's a sacred place, and you do your religious routines here, but it's not a place 
where I dwell anymore. Where I dwell now is in this body called Jesus. This is my dwelling place in this body. So it's a different Greek word altogether. And and, and he was speaking of that dwelling place, which obviously uh, destroyed, and he would raise it up in three days. And we know that's the reference to, to his resurrection. So it's really interesting to see that he went in to cleanse the sacred place, but in the destroying of the temple, it was his, his dwelling place. So, so this dwelling place is where God chooses to live on the earth. And as I mentioned in the very first message, we know God is omnipresent. He's everywhere all at once, all the time. So it's, so it's not like he, he's stuck in the body of the Lord or stuck in the tabernacle in the wilderness. He's everywhere all the time. But because he wants to be near to or close to or, or have that intimate relationship with his people, he, he creates ways in which a holy God can be in the presence of an old, unholy people. And that's what the tabernacle is about, and now we see that in the Lord. So, so in Jesus now, the Father uh, is, is dwelling. As we mentioned with the tabernacle, it's a mobile thing. It, it can be moved from place to place as the Lord wills. Jesus was mobile, and he went where the Father sent him. So, he, so he, 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 he would only go where the Father sent him and only when the Father sent him. For example, when, when his, his, his buddy Lazarus died, he was ready to go. He was moved with compassion, but he waited. Why did he wait? Because the cloud hadn't moved. The Spirit of God hadn't moved him to go and care for his friends until a few days later because God had a plan to raise Lazarus up from the dead. So, so he, 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 he moved when God told him to move and he stayed when God told him to stay, just like in the tabernacle in, in the wilderness. And his body, of course, was comprised of three parts, right? Jesus, like us, had a, a, he's a spirit being and he, and he has a soul and he lives in a body. That's the incarnation of, of God coming into the Son of Man. So, so those three parts, like, like this, uh, the tabernacle in the wilderness, and, and, and in, 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 the, in the heart of him, of course, God is love, and at the very base of him is this propitiation at his core is mercy. So, if, so you know, if God is love, really in his heart is, is this mercy, and his mercy is new every morning, and his mercy endures forever. And we, as his people now, need to exude his love and exude his mercy. If there's anything else that we should be called, it's loving and merciful in the world today. What do we get instead? Judgmental, archaic, and uh, uh, thoughtless. So, and many more. So, but that's, uh, we're uh, getting ahead of myself here. All right. You with me so far? All right. Now, we want to talk about the glory in the tabernacle. So where did the glory really come upon Jesus in a sense that, that it was somewhat manifest or somewhat evident uh, and, and so we're going to go to Matthew chapter 3 and, and talk about when, when we see this glory coming upon this tabernacle, you know, when, when the time was right. And, and in Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 13, um, it, sa- it says that, uh, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John in the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and you are coming to me. But Jesus answered and said, Permit it to be so now, for, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. So, so John allowed him. So, so what is this water baptism? You guys kind of know the story, right? John the, baptism, uh, John the Baptist came preaching a, 
of baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. His role was to let people know that the kingdom of heaven was at hand and you guys have got to get yourself right before God so that you can see him when he's here, so that you can experience him. So his, his mission, his method, his message was, look, repent from your sins. Change your ways from the way you've been living. You've been living in this city culture in this uh, money changer environment in the temple you've been living the way the world wants you to live but you're missing god turn your ways turn your thinking away from the things of the world to the things of god because the kingdom of god is at hand and by the way when you're baptized in water this is a symbolic way of saying that you're putting to death your old ways and you're agreeing to turn and look to the ways of the spirit That's what this baptism of John was. And it says that all the people from around the area came because there was an authority and there's an anointing in John's message. And he was basically making the way for for Christ to come. Now, why would Jesus have to have a repentance for the remission of sins? He he did not. Uh, He did not because he didn't commit any sins. There were no sins for him to remit. Um, And so so this wasn't necessary for him to see the kingdom of God. In fact, he was the kingdom of God, right? But but what's, what's happening here is Jesus is setting the example for us. What he's saying to us is if you... Uh, want to see the kingdom of God, you need to have your, you need to repent. You need to change your ways. If you want to see this glory of God in manifested in your life and the spirit of God moving, you need to repent. There's that continual sacrifice like we talked about in the tabernacle in the wilderness. There's that continual obedience that's needed and we need to now come and be baptized and turn our ways away from the world and toward the, the kingdom of God. So, so, so Jesus Jesus obviously did that for our example and also so he could fulfill the law, fulfill the righteousness of the law. And when you do this, when you confess your sins, it's not just saying something in a confessional so that you can go out and party. Confessing your sins is taking ownership of what you do. You're saying to to the Lord, it's me. It's not the devil made me do it. It's me. And therefore, for me, I know I can change with your help. And so I will change with your help. I'm determined to follow after you and only you and not follow after the leading of my flesh. It's a sense of, 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 of deciding to follow the Lord uh, the way he wants you to follow him. He wants to dwell with you and he wants to be your God, which means he wants you to submit to his calling. And so why were people coming to this baptism in, in, in the Jordan? Because they had a sense of the fear of the Lord. If the kingdom of God is coming, I'm not ready. If I were to stand, you, stand here today and say, well, next Sunday, the reincarnate Christ will be up here preaching. Would you do anything different this week? How would, you, how would you prepare? You would be on your knees praying. You would be saying, I'm sorry, Lord, I did this. I'm sorry, I did that. You would be repenting and confessing your sins, trying to cleanse your conscience from dead works and able to, to stand in front of the Lord. These people had a sense of the fear of the Lord and that he was coming. And, and so they, 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 they went and uh, were baptized. So, so Jesus did this. Now let's pick up in, in Matthew 3. We'll continue on now with verse 16. We're talking about when the glory came upon the tabernacle, Jesus. So when he had been baptized, 
Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and, and alighting upon him. And suddenly, a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. So here that glory of God is now filling that tabernacle of Jesus for the work of the ministry. There's no cloud, no pillar of fire, no thunderclaps like on the mountain of, of Sinai. Um, but this, this, this bodily sense that like a dove alighting upon him who was indeed the Spirit of God. What we also see here, which is really interesting, is that in the past when we talked about the children of Israel in, in the desert, God introduced the different things that he would provide for and do for them. But now he's introducing himself as Father. This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. So throughout the New Testament now and through Jesus' ministry, he points to God as his Father and he points to God as our Father. And, and so this is a new, attri- a new relationship with this God who's not just a great and powerful and mighty God and, and one who can do whatever he wants, but he's, he's a father. He wants that close, tight-knit relationship with, with, his, with his children. And it's made evident here in an audible voice uh, as, as Jesus is now, now filled with the Spirit. And so, so this tabernacle where God chooses to dwell is now, it's now uh, sanctified by the glory of of the Lord, uh, and now that Jesus is, is going to be launched into his, his ministry. <coughs> and so Jesus is now, this tabernacle is not going to be led by a, by a cloud anymore or by a, a pillar of fire at night, but now Jesus is going to be led by the Spirit who has, uh, who has filled him. And it's not an external leading, but it's a leading from within, you know, from that sanctuary, that holy of holy places, that's where the, where the Holy Spirit is abiding in our Lord Jesus. Now, now let me make this clear. Uh, uh, Jesus was born of the Holy Spirit. So, so his father was the Holy Spirit, and of course his mother was Mary. So he was born of man, Mary being a man, not a ma- male, but I mean a human. <laughs> and, and he was born of, of the Holy Spirit. So, so his spirit and the spirit of the Lord were always united together from his birth, which is how he was able to live in this world without sinning. He was able to live, even before his ministry started, he was able to walk among his peers and among his parents and among his schoolmates without committing a sin because the Spirit of God was able to protect him, to keep him, uh, and, and, and it would stir in him as he would go to synagogue and read. It would stir in him the truths that he read about himself. The Bible says he grew in wisdom. He didn't have that when he was four, but as the Spirit grew in him, he, he, the Spirit of God within him uh, would, 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 would alight, uh, ignite those words and cause him to realize who he was. So, so, so the Spirit of God was always, was always in him, um, but nobody really knew it. You know, they're like, isn't this, you know, Joseph's son? I mean, who is this kid? There's no real evidence uh, of, this, of this anointing with him other than those who had a real eye for faith and could really see it where we're waiting for this, this promise of the Father to come. Uh, you know, few people really recognized him until, until the Lord was baptized in water when, when representing the fact that he was not going to follow after his flesh. Now, he never did. But he was representing for us, I am no, not subject to my flesh. Who is Lord of my life is my Father. And in that baptism, symbolizing the death of his own will, 
uh, in favor of his father's will, then the Holy Spirit comes upon him and the glory is manifest in, the, in that tabernacle. Pretty, pretty cool. I mean, it's, it's a story that's it's consistent throughout the scriptures. And, 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 and then the Spirit of God, what do you see? Do you see miracles immediately? You know, what does he do first? He leads him into the wilderness to be tested. Why? Because Jesus, in his baptism, made this commitment that he was not going to put his flesh first. So he, 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 he fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and at the end, the scriptures say something that's very obvious, but it also is written there for our benefit, that he, he, he was hungry. He had a body that needed food just like we do. But he was led into the wilderness to be tested. Am I going to follow after the Spirit, or am I going to let the flesh take over? And not only was he tempted by food, he was tempted by the devil and by the opportunity to be Lord over the earth if he would just subject himself to, to the devil. And, and he managed that temp- those temptations by responding, it is written. So then he returned from that temptation in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now we start to see that glory manifest in him. Not everyone could see it. He took the scroll in the temple, you guys know the story, and he began to read, and many were amazed at the authority with which he read that scripture. And he said, now this is fulfilled in your sight. But others mocked him and and were offended. So not all people could see with the eyes of faith. So it still takes a faith to see this glory manifest in the temple. Um, So, but, 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 but now he's, he's, he's got this, this uh, glory dwelling within him and it's starting to be manifest. So, so is there any doubt? Does anyone have any doubt that, that, that the fullness of God dwelled in Jesus while he was on the earth? Is there any, 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 any question there, uh, that, that God chose to dwell in that tabernacle called Jesus during the, during the 33 years while he was here? I mean, this is where he, he lived. Um, and, and, and there's no doubt that God wanted to live among his people, and he did so in this body, Jesus. So everything's great, right? Well, then this tabernacle is destroyed. So, so let's look at that. I think I'm okay on time. So, so Jesus is crucified, Luke 23, verse 44 to 46. Now, it was about the sixth hour, And there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour, and the sun was darkened. And the veil of the temple was torn in two. And when Jesus cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. So in his passion, and you guys know this, I'm not going to pull all the scriptures out, but you know this, that the body of Christ, the dwelling place of God on the earth, was destroyed. I mean, what he went through, what he endured in the beatings and the scourgings and the crown and the mockings, uh, that this body was barely recognized, if you look at the way Isaiah prophesied of it. Hardly recognizable as a man. So the body was destroyed. But worse than that, God imputed our sin upon that body. So our sin was put on him. Now, now when the sin came, because there wasn't any sin before that, but when our sin came, the Spirit of God had to leave because a Holy Spirit can't live in the, pre- in, in the same place as sin. They don't, those two don't go together. And I'll, I'll probably do a message on that at some point. But, but, but it's clear that where sin is, God can't, can't, can't abide. He had to leave that, that, that temple that he was living in. He could no longer dwell there. So, so when the Spirit of the Lord left the body of Christ... 
Now in dying, the source of life left him. In dying, you shall die. That's what God said would happen if you disobeyed him in the, in the garden. In dying, you will die. He died by leaving, by the spirit of life leaving him. And then his body passed away. And he said, into your, into your hands now, I command, command my spirit. So, so now Jesus suffered that death. And death is the price for sin. So he, he paid the price for our sin. And he went into Hades, the place of the dead, and, and, he, and, he, and he paid the price. His blood was shed. His soul was poured out like a drink offering. And that sacrifice that we talked about at the door of the tabernacle was made once and, and for all. So the tabernacle's gone. Now what's God going to do? He wants to dwell among his people, but that, but that one tabernacle that he had to live in is no longer available to him because, because he, he, he died. Well, the good news, of course, is that, that death couldn't hold him because it wasn't his sin. And so once the price was paid, death was paid for our sins, he was raised from the grave, right? And, and so now with his resurrection, we see the birth of a new temple, which which is his church, so 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 that price is now paid for our sins and for at that time the sins of his disciples, really for all people, but his disciples were the ones who believed, right? And so Jesus is raised from the dead. He's getting ready to ascend into heaven to present his blood, the sprinkling of the blood. I love that message, uh, Pastor Ray, in the heavenlies. Uh, but he has a couple things to do before he goes up. Let's read the scriptures in John chapter twenty. Make sure I haven't turned too many pages here. Yes. John chapter 20 and verses 19 to 23. Then at the same, this is before he ascended, but after he died and was resurrected. Then on the same day at evening, being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he said this, he showed them his, his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And so Jesus said to them again, peace to you. And the Father, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he said this, he breathed on them, and he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. So why is it that the disciples could now receive the Holy Spirit? Because the price of their sin had been paid for. And in the righteousness of Christ, they could now receive the Holy Spirit and be born again. Just like you, when you heard the word, believed the word, acknowledged your sins, accepted the blood as a payment for those sins, believed that God raised him from the dead, uh, and, 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 and accepted his lordship, it says you'll be saved. That's what it took for these guys. They obviously saw that he was raised from the dead. It didn't take faith for them. It takes faith for us. Uh, and they obviously believed and already confessed him as Lord. So by seeing that he was raised from the dead and confessing him as Lord, the Bible says you'll be saved. They're saved. And because they're saved, now they are reconciled to God. Now the spirit of God can be in union with their spirit, and that's the beginning of the church. Making sense? All right, so, so, so now we have the disciples uh, as this, this new place where the Spirit of God is dwelling in them. But now what about the glory? Where is the glory going to come from uh, in, in this new church? Let's look at Acts chapter 1, and, and we'll see what he commands them to do. <clears throat> and in, the, in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 9, and beginning uh, being assembled, uh, let me just slow down here, and being assembled together with them, He commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he had said, 
you have heard from me. John, truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, I just told you that they had already received the Holy Spirit. So being born again is a different event than the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't have to be born again. He was already born of the Spirit, and then he received the baptism of the Holy Spirit for the work of the ministry. We're now going to see the church receive that, that baptism, or the disciples receive that baptism Okay, uh, verse 6. Therefore, as they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? They still don't get it, which is understandable. And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and to all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now, when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up in a cloud. There's a reference to the cloud again in his glory. Uh, had taken him out of sight. So, so, so the Holy Spirit now has been promised to their follower, followers. We see a reference to the water baptism, uh, which is important to precede the baptism uh, of the Holy Ghost. Not, not the sacrament of water baptism, but what water baptism represents, which is choosing to have Jesus as your Lord instead of you be your Lord. Does that make sense? I didn't lose you there. I know that can be a little tricky. Okay. All right, so the promise comes to the early church. Let's see what happened, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there was a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting, and there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Interesting that the Holy Spirit came upon his followers in the upper room and alighted on them in a different form, in, in the form of a, of a flame versus the form of a dove. But in the same way the Father sent the Son, he's now sending us. And the Holy Spirit is now alighting on them as, as, as if flames of fire. There were no good words to describe what, what they saw. And there was a tangible noise as of the sound of a mighty rushing wind. This isn't something that, that you, you read about and said, oh, that happened. No, no, this was like a big deal. I mean, and, and the fact that they could begin to speak with languages of other nations, the glorious works of God, uh, showed them that the Spirit of God was obviously now working through them to minister to the people who were in the city at that time uh, to celebrate the, the Feast of, of Pentecost. So, so, so the glory of the, of the Lord now is being manifest in the, in the followers uh, of, of Jesus, uh, the, the temple of the Holy Ghost. It's still with me. All right. Now, but that doesn't stop with the disciples. Let's go to Acts chapter 2, and there's a whole bunch in the middle there we don't have time for. But Acts chapter 2, verse 36 to 39, uh, he, Peter preaches the message, and, and, um, and he says this. He says there, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified both Lord and Christ. And when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart. They heard this and it, and it smote them because they recognized their sinful nature and they wanted to be saved. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And what does Peter say in verse 38? He says to them, repent. Let every one of you be baptized 
in the name of Jesus for the remission of sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promises to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord God will call. So here we see the thousands of people and they're coming to this upper room to see what the commotion's about and they hear this heartfelt message that for some cut them to the quick. It just penetrated their heart and they were like, what do we have to do? And, and Peter tells them, look, you, you, you have a desire now. You heard the word and you received it by faith. That's the beginning, right? You need to hear the word. Now you have a desire to be saved. You need to repent from your sins, from living the way of the world and be baptized into Jesus Christ as your Lord and begin to live the way he wants you to live. And then when you do that, you will receive the birth of the Holy Spirit, you will be born again so that you're now equipped, you're able to follow after him and you're no longer a slave to sin, but a slave to righteousness. So, so, and we know a lot of that by hindsight. Those folks didn't already get that, but, but, but we know now through the epistles and the teachings uh, that's, that's what it meant. And the cool thing is that about 3,000 people were saved that day. So there was something in that message there was a power and anointing in that message and something in that when they received. And the Bible says that from day to day, more people were added to the church and people came and gave and shared and prayed as the Lord would lead them. And great fear of the Lord came upon all people and signs and wonders were done among the apostles in the early church. That sounds like a glorious church, doesn't it? Does that sound like a place where God would want to dwell and that his will would be done? Wow. Well, there's good news. That didn't stop then. That is how we are or or should be now. All right. So, we are the body of Christ on the earth. We are now the tabernacle, the dwelling place of God on the earth. I'm going to read a number of different scriptures as we go through the, the back part of this message. And this is where I really want you to listen to this stirring of the Spirit. You guys, have all, most of you have read this. And if you're new to this, be patient. This will come to bear witness. The Spirit of God will bear witness to its truth to you as well. But for those of you who know this, I, I, want, to, I want to breathe a, the breath of life on the coals that are within you. Stir up some fire that's within you to, to realize these truths. Um, and I can't do that. I was asking God to do that. But I'm going to read His Word. And through His Word, He, he will do that. So we're going to start with Colossians chapter 1, and I'm going to read 15 through 20. And I, all of my scriptures, by the way, are New, King's James, New King James translations. There, there are a number of other great, great messages, but I had to stay focused, so I stayed with one translation. Uh, and so, so this is the one that I prefer. Um, he, he is the image, uh, verse 15 of Colossians 1, he is the image of the invisible God, talking about Jesus. He's the image. He's the express image of God. Now, think about that. If we're to be the image of Christ, and he's the image of God, shouldn't we be the image of God? You know, we kind of water it down. Oh, well, it's just Jesus. Oh, he's just a man. Why'd you? No. Jesus is the image of God. We're the image of Christ. We should also be the image of God. All right. For by him, God, for Jesus, by Jesus, all things were created that were in heaven and that are on the earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, principalities, or powers. All things were created through him and, and for him. 
And he is before all things, and in him all things consist, verse 18, and he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, and that in all things he may have preeminence. Verse 19, for it pleased the Father, is that essence of the Father, that in him, in Jesus the Son, all the fullness should dwell, dwell, live. And by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on the earth, things in heaven, uh, having made peace, peace be with you, through the blood of his cross. And you, verse 21, who were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he's reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which was preached to every creature under heaven, which I, Paul, became a minister. So Jesus, the express image of God the Father, he's the firstborn. He's not the only born. He's the firstborn. Obviously, we are born again. We are after the firstborn. He's the beginning. We're the continuation. He's the head we are his body now on the earth. And, uh, and the church, is uh, the, the word church, ecclesia, the Greek word, it just means the called out ones. Well, what have we been called out? You know, sometimes we get called out because we said something dumb. That's not what we're talking about. The called out ones means we've been called out from the world, called out from darkness into his marvelous light. We've been called. He called us first before we answered his call. He called us and put us into, into his family, into his kingdom, into his tabernacle. And, and so we, we, are, we are called by him. And, and, uh, and that's who the church is. And the church now contains the fullness of Christ as Christ contained the fullness of the Father. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church which is his body. Again, the fullness of him, the fullness of God, the fullness of the Holy Spirit, the fullness of the Father. That's all in his body, the church, who we are. He dwells in us now. The Bible is very clear on this, and, and, I, and I labored over these notes because everywhere I turned, it was evident. There it is again. There, there, there it is again. Look, it was prophesied away. And it's everywhere throughout the Scriptures. But we know this with our heads, but our, but our actions sometimes don't follow through. Pastor, Pastor Chris, he, he, he quoted Francis Chan, Francis Chan on Sunday. And, and, he, and, he, and he said, we, we can mentally ascend to the word and even agree to what it says. But it doesn't mean we possess the word. And that's why it's so important that we, we, we meditate on these things and, and make them real to ourselves. And I'll tell you, the world has a way of pulling us away from these truths and getting us distracted into so many other things that a week goes by and maybe you didn't spend any time with God. Or maybe you gave him, as Pastor Chris said, the drive-by. You know, thank you, Lord, for today. <laughs> Got to get my Egg McMuffin. You know, we can be, get so very, very busy. And that's the pull of the world and the pull of the flesh. And he's saying, no, stop. 
we need to possess these truths and start to walk in them. And the more real they become, the more the glory manifests in us individually, the more it manifests in us as a church to the point where we'll no longer have any desire to go back to do the old ways. We will continually be able to follow through. Let me give you some more scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Are we doing on time? Good. Uh, chapter 3, 1 Corinthians, verse 16 and 17. Or do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. There's another one, 1 Corinthians 6, 18 to 20. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does outside the body, every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Verse 19, or, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you're not your own? For you were bought at a price. I'm going to remind ourselves of the price from time to time. That's why communion is so important. You were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Ephesians 2.22 Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints. And members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building, being fitted together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together, for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Are you getting the idea that God dwells in us? Is that starting to sink in? When you forget, it's easy to sin. When you are reminded of that constantly, sin has no more desire for you. You have no more desire for it. So throughout all the scriptures that, I, that I've studied, there's an exhortation to understand that Christ and the Spirit and the Father abide in you, and you abide in them. And so it's important that we live like it's true. We can't look like the world and think that this is really happening for us. We have to look like the Lord. That's important. So, so, so as Jesus demonstrated his willingness to be baptized in water, a baptism of repentance and a turning to the obedience of the Father under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, we also, our continual sacrifice at the door of the tabernacle is to put down the desires of the flesh, repent from dead works, obey the Father and Jesus under the anointing of the Holy Spirit. That's what we need to do. A couple more scriptures and we'll, we'll, we'll close here. Romans 8, 12 to 17, and here's sort of the how-tos. Uh, therefore, brethren, Paul writing to the church in Rome, therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh, not to live according to the flesh. For if, look, look at this, if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. Stop doing that in, in today's vernacular. <laughs> uh, but if you live by the Spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body and you will live. And verse 14 says, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Can you say in the last three weeks that you've been led by the Spirit in all the things you've done? 
If you are led by the Spirit of God, you're the sons of God. If you're not led by the Spirit of God, then you're led by the Spirit of the world or by your flesh. And you're not a son of God. You're therefore uh, not part of the family. But, but, but Paul goes on to emphasize, but you are the Spirit of God. You, you, sorry, you are uh, in the Spirit and part of the family. He says, let's see, uh, in, in verse 15, for you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but, but you received the spirit of adoption whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Remember Jesus, when he was baptized in the Holy Spirit, we heard, this is my son, and we saw the evidence of the Father. Now we have the Holy Spirit. Now within us is this crying out, yes, God, you are my Father. Uh, and, and the Spirit himself who's in us bears witness to that truth. We can't see the Father, but the Spirit of God who's in us gives us that confirmation that we are indeed children of God. And if we're children, then we're heirs. And if heirs of God, we're joint heirs with Christ. Now, there's a place to put yourself. Joint heirs with Christ. We are that because we are also children of God as, as he is the Son of God. We're joined heirs with Christ if indeed, now here's the if indeed, we suffer with him that we may also be glorified together. The suffering that we have to endure is the putting down of our will, the putting down of our flesh, continual sacrifice at the door. And as we do that, the Spirit of God uh, is now uh, Lord in our lives and we are able to do the work whether or not we're persecuted, whether or not there's tribulations, whether or not the things we go through, it doesn't matter. We are following after the Lord and not being oppressed or turning to those te- temptations and tribulations. Look at Romans 12, 1 and 2, a verse we've t- been taught very, very well here uh, in this church, Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, sacrifice of the body, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. That's your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable perfect will of God. What do we see in these two verses? We see that our spirit, man, is in union with the spirit of God. Those two are now one because we're born again. But what we see is that our flesh is the old flesh. So we don't want to follow after the temptations of the old flesh. We're going to, that's our reasonable sacrifice to say no to that unless it's subject to the will of God. And then we see our soul between the spirit man and the body, we've been taught so well, uh, that's the renewing of the mind. And as that renews to the things of the spirit and away from the things of the world, you're now able to carry out and walk out the things that God has for us to do. That's that tabernacle that you are and I am individually and that we are as the church of God, a, continually, a continual offering. Oh, there's so much more. One more scripture, and then we'll summarize, and then, and then we'll, we'll pick this up next time. Uh, Ephesians five twenty five to 32. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. And he gave himself for her that, look at this, verse 26, he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of the water by the word, verse 27, that he might present her to himself a glorious church. We're talking about the glory and the tabernacle. His glory in his church becomes his bride, and then he gets to come again. That's exciting. Without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish, so husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. But no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as the Lord does the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, 
and of his bones. And for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning the church and Christ, Christ and his church. Remember the body of Christ on the earth, his flesh? Now that flesh was destroyed. Now we are the one flesh with him on the earth. We are that flesh that he lives in, aren't we? We're one flesh with the flesh of Christ. Amazing. In the spiritual sense, we were born of Mary. Pretty cool. So, so there's some, some key takeaways, some, some key points, which I think you're getting the, the essence of, but obviously the key here is one, continual sacrifice of turning away the desires of the flesh when they're, not, or when they're contrary to God. Continual sacrifice of turning away an opportunity to be offended an opportunity to not forgive, an opportunity to, to, to stand up for your rights uh, if it's contrary to the leading of the Lord. And submitting yourself rather to the leading of the Lord. Find that peace that comes with the leading of the Lord and not the stress of following after the ways of the world. So, so it's that sacrifice that starts and as you submit to that, now what you'll see is, is that, that manifestation, that glory becoming more and more evident in you. And that's not for you. That's so that people can be added to the church daily. Because when they see something different in you, they're going to be drawn to that love, drawn to that mercy, and drawn to the truth that the world is so hungry for. The world is searching for truth in every media place, in every, every, every corner of the world. The, hungry, the world is hungry for truth. We have the truth. The truth dwells in us. And so now that glory is necessary to draw people to God uh, so that you can then tell them what you learned, freely you have received, and I'll freely give. So I'll go back to the last part of our key scripture, Exodus 29, verse 45 and 46. This is the will of God. I will dwell among the children of Israel. You can say I will dwell among the people of, of God and, and Israel, and I will be their God. And, and, and they, will, they shall know that I am their Lord, their God, who brought them up out of the land of Egypt, and that I may dwell among them, and I am the Lord, their God. He's the one who chooses to live among us. We need to choose to let him. And that's the challenge for us today. Now listen, next time we get together, it'll be uh, in a month, and there's going to be a shocking conclusion to this glory in the tabernacle. It's going to be Amazing, too. It's going to be good news, but there's some, going to be some pretty shocking things that we're going to talk about as we look at this in the book of Revelation. So you'll want to connect with us for that because you'll see the ultimate direction, the ultimate will of God, but you're going to see some stuff in the middle that's going to take place that's not going to be pretty. So, so it's important that we understand that before it happens and what our role is in all of that. And uh, so, so we'll talk about the glory in the tabernacle as it's revealed in Revelation next time we're together. Let's pray. Father, you've given us a lot to think about tonight. Uh, we know that we need to be reminded to continually pursue you and to walk in your ways and to represent you with whoever we meet and in any situation we're in. And we know we can't do that without you. We need you. So we repent, we turn from those worldly ways and we offer ourselves to you and we ask you, Lord, that you would lead us. We ask you that you would guide us. We ask you that you would forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness for your namesake, that you would then be the 
we would have a better sense of your voice, a better ear to hear and a heart to see and a willingness to respond. Because we know that your heart is that none should be lost, that all should be saved. And it's our job as your body on the earth to bring that message of of salvation to those who would hear it. So help us with that, Lord. Help us to leave here changed from the way we came in, exhilarated by the fact that you choose to dwell in us, clay pots on the earth. And Father, I pray that if there's anyone in, in the sound of my voice that has yet to ask you to be your Lord, their Lord, has yet to receive the rebirth, the, the be born again in the Spirit, if there's anyone here or anyone online, Lord, that, uh, that you would stir in their hearts to either come down here tonight to talk to me about that because we're happy to, to uh, share the gospel with them or that they would call the church tomorrow uh, and, and talk to somebody here. What is this new birth about? I don't think I have it. Can you help? If there's anyone who wants to be saved, come on down here tonight when we're finished praying or call the church tomorrow. It's... The work has been done. You have to do it by faith. Just step out and do it. We invite you because the Lord is invite, inviting you. It's not, it's not us. It's the Lord inviting you. And Lord, as we're praying and in the spirit of worship, we thank you that we have the opportunity to give. Give into your kingdom. 